developing your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Okay, here's the situation. Our daughter Mia is leaving for her first sleepover. We have friends coming to stay, and we just got a puppy. So I go on Instacart and solve everything in one order from Kohl's. Fun PJs for Mia. Oh, new bedding for the guest room. And a vacuum cleaner that actually picks up pet hair. All delivered in as fast as 30 minutes. With Kohl's on Instacart, there's no such we can't fix. Visit instacart.com to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. $10 minimum order. Additional terms apply. and welcome. I am your host, Emigan Awardner, and in my nearly 20-year career as a beauty and health writer, I have interviewed a lot of people, supermodels, entrepreneurs, authors, celebrities, and doctors, and many of these conversations had a real impact on me, and I'd come away feeling inspired, excited, informed, and really empowered, and at the back of my mind, I'd always think, I wish I could just publish the tape so people could really feel that conversation. Well, on this podcast, you get to feel the conversation. I talk with experts, guests, and a few friends who I hope will inspire, inform, and empower you, and maybe also challenge you, whether you're looking for self-help, self-improvement, beauty advice, health insights, business know-how, or just some good old-fashioned life advice and a bit of a laugh. It's all here. Welcome to the show. Hello, hi, and welcome to a special episode of The Emma Gunn Show. I'm revisiting my conversation with Mandy Saligari, the incredible therapist because she is someone who has really resonated with me her insights and expertise have really touched me personally and been helpful to me personally but in the time since I published this episode it's the it's the emails that I'll get about this conversation that really are touching and really let me know that it's conversations like this that help people make a positive difference in their lives. So Mandy is an incredible therapist and she's someone whose work I had admired for a really long time before I even asked her to be on the show. In fact, I admired her so much. I was terrified to ask her to come on the podcast in case she said no, but thankfully she said yes. And this is actually the first of two conversations we recorded for the podcast. And as I said, it was helpful for me personally, but I know it's an episode that has been really helpful for listeners too. Mandy is an addiction, parenting and relationship expert and her insights cut through the confusion of life and allow you to see the situations you're in, how they are playing out and perhaps most importantly, your role in them. It's as though Mandy has the kind of 2020 vision on situations happening right now in the right here and now that is often only afforded to us, the individual in hindsight. It's this and so much more about what Mandy shares in this episode that makes her contribution to the podcast so valuable. As I said, not just to me, but to so many people, so many of you, my most excellent listeners, who've really benefited from her wisdom and have been in touch to let me know. So as we take some time to reflect over the summer on the episodes that have been your, my most excellent listeners' favourites, I really felt this conversation with Mandy was an important one to share. So here she is. It's Mandy Saligari on The Emma Gunn Show. This feels very delightful. Mandy Saligari, thank you so much for joining me. It's a pleasure. Um, 
it's almost difficult to know where to begin. <laughs> There's a tidal wave of thoughts trying to get out of my mouth right now. But um, for the context of listeners who are tuning in, I wondered if you wouldn't mind just putting you into context, rather than me doing it for you, of what you do daily and what we, and therefore where we'll be going within this conversation. Okay, I have no idea where we're going to go, but I'm happy <laughs> to travel with you. I often think of therapy as... Uh, going for a walk with your dog and you think you're going to head down that pathway and then suddenly it takes off after a squirrel and you follow it. Mm. So um, I am a therapist. I am in recovery myself from addiction. Um, I used to work in television a long, long time ago and longed to leave and become a therapist and eventually made my way here. So I started by targeting, I suppose, addiction as my main interest. But from there, I developed an entire model of care, an entire approach that really looks at why people use self-defeating coping mechanisms uh, to cope with how they feel. Mm -hmm. So I ended up working with people rather than addiction. Mm -hmm. I end up working with families. I love working with adolescents and uh, intervening really early so that people become more comfortable with being vulnerable and they learn to take responsibility for whichever coping mechanism they choose to use. Mm. Whether that's, and this is a bit contentious, whether that's uh, determined to avoid something by being super anxious, mm -hmm. whether that's drinking, whether that's food, whether that's being constantly invested in drama or isolating yourself, I don't really mind. But if there's a pattern, I'm interested Oh, okay. So that's really interesting. The idea of delegating to something else. And immediately I thought you were going to say drugs and alcohol or screen time or food. And you said being super anxious or being full of, involved in drama. And I'm thinking, that sounds like life. <laughs> <laughs> I recognise that in, in myself and other people. And you would describe that as an addictive behaviour? Well, I think that addiction, as we all recognise it, is at the end of a long line of other clues, as mm. I think of them. So you don't just wake up one day an addict. Yeah. That's not what happens um, out of nowhere, out of the blue. There has to be a pattern of behaviour that has consistently enabled you to remove yourself from your own process, avoid, swerve, blame, whatever, mm. and so that you can justifiably self-medicate in some way. So people turn up with a dependence on something. And I believe there are 15 manifestations of addiction, of which drugs and alcohol and food are three. Mm. But prior to that, there is distorted thinking, there's dysregulated emotion, uh, which could be in the form of drama-seeking, uh, constantly withdrawing, isolating, lack of motivation, super-anxiousness, very, very depressed, low mood. And I think that people become used to feeling a certain way mm. so they default to it and part of the work I would do in the early intervention stages is to be really curious about people where people go mm. try to get them to see what happens just before they go there and sort of strengthen that muscle mm. so that if they wish and not everybody wishes to so if they wish they can do different because uh, in the 12 steps for example yeah. the famous um, the first step is admitting that you have a problem Ah, you see, oh, no. I think I think the first step is, oh, my way didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> but 
But so what rather I'm... than I've got a problem, I mean, I could sit here all day and all night talking about <laughs> what problem and I could make it big or small. It depends on how I feel. But the point is that my way of living or of tackling life or of tackling life's problems, because mm. they're never going to go away. Life's problems turn up every single day mm. and they're not going to disappear. So, you know, stop waiting till everything's sorted before you get on. I think it's more about how you tackle them. Mm. So if my lens to tackling them is I can't, um, then I'm already in big trouble. Mm. If my attitude towards tackling getting up in the morning is I wonder what I wonder how today will be it's okay we'll be all right and I've got my arm around myself mm. then everything's different yeah there's about 180 questions that I have now from that okay but is <laughs> is part of your role helping somebody see that there is sometimes an issue that they have to deal with gosh no most people <laughs> come to therapy um well, most people sadly come to therapy when everything's already in crisis. So they've tried the haircut, the new boyfriend, changing the house, you know, changing the job, whatever it is. They've tried everything else. And then they come into therapy as a last resort. So honestly, they genuinely know that there's something wrong. They may not be right about what it is, mm. but they will definitely have identified something that's wrong. Um, I wish people came in sooner. I actually think people come into therapy out of hope for a new way rather than out of despair. But yes, the key is my way didn't work. And if you come into therapy, you're saying not only did my way not work, but I can't think my way out of this on my own. Mm. And I need a object, an objective, experienced other head to stand shoulder to shoulder with me to have a look at what's gone on so mm. I can sort it out. And I think what I would hope we can impress upon people via that is that it's okay not to have the answers and it's okay to go I can't figure this out I think it's wonderful I actually think that when people come into therapy they're coming in as an act of self-esteem because they're mm. saying I want more I don't want to be like this I want to make the most of what I've gotten as a block I think it is an act of hope self-esteem self-care self-worth curiosity it's all those things and that happens within about the first 15 minutes of being in therapy people sit here with the kind of oh I'm the one who's messed up in my family I'm the one with the problems I'm the one who's always got you know mm. causing trouble and then they realize no they're the one who wants to make the change mm. it's a wonderful thing I've been through it. Listeners know that I've been through it. But I remember friends saying to me, not consistently over the years, but over my life, people saying to me, do you think you should go and talk to someone? And I thought it was rejection. I thought it was, I've had enough of this. Would you just tell it to someone else? Because I really, like the doors were coming down. It made me feel very rejected. And I wonder if people come to you sometimes feeling that no one else will listen to them or that they're boring other people. Yeah, I think that's quite common. I think that, as I say, people come to therapy having tried out every, every other option. Mm. I mean, literally everything. Mm. And uh, yeah, they they are at a kind of dead end in trying to work it out. And I think 
too that when somebody says you should go and speak to someone, I think it can feel like a criticism. Mm. It can feel like um, you are really messed up and mm, beyond the normal bounds of sitting at the kitchen table and chatting this through. There's really something wrong with you. Mm. You really need to go and talk to someone. And I just chuckle because I've made it my life, (laughs) my entire life, to sit behind closed doors and talk to people. Mm. And the sooner you get here, the sooner you can address that kind of glitch that we probably all have Mm. um, and get on with however you want to live your life. If you had your way, when would it be something that everybody did from a certain age? Just weekly session, weekly chat, you know, put it all out there in a safe place. In principle, yes. I think it should be taught in primary setting, in nursery setting. Not the format necessarily of one hour's therapy to focus on your problems, Mm. but the idea of having emotional intelligence, knowing how you feel and therefore having a gnat's chance of taking responsibility Mm. for the consequence behaviour. If I don't know how I feel, if I don't know I'm angry and frightened of being angry because when I was angry as a child everybody got angrier then I'm likely to become anxious Mm. and then I'll honestly think I'm anxious and I'll never get a hold of the anger which is the power that will actually drive me through life Mm. in a way allowing me to take responsibility for myself so yes I think knowing how I feel being able to talk about it and being able to accept it as one of life's great subjects mm. would be a huge asset, nice and early on, <laughs> yes. <laughs> you did a brilliant TED Talk, and listeners, obviously the link to watch it will be in the show notes, and it's called Feelings, Handle Them Before They Handle You. And I was watching it, I've watched it many times now, and I think one of the things I thought was, had I not already been through therapy, I might have a sense of fear about the fact that if I was watching it as a 41 and three-quarter-year-old woman, um, I might look at it and think, oh, gosh, do I really want to unpick my childhood? Because that's where a lot of it begins. Like, my inability to ask for help is something that comes from childhood. Do I really want to understand that? And I know people who would say, oh, just get on with it, just get over it, move on. But I don't necessarily think that's the best way to bury I think that when people are making that decision, they're looking in the mirror at a 41 and three quarter year old (laughs) woman and saying to their inner little four, five, six, seven year old, get on with it and move on. Mm. And I think if you have unresolved issues from childhood, sometimes you don't want to go back and unpick it because you're frightened of what you're going to find and what you're going to feel about people that you've already kind of decided where they stand in your life, Mm. if you like. But the person you haven't decided where they stand in your life is the little version of you. It's your history that therapy will help you straighten out. Not that your dad was a bad guy or your mum was to blame. or I couldn't be less interested in attributing blame or judging anyone. Mm. Point is, therefore, you are shaped how. Mm. So I think it's like a... It's like, you know, a pet renovation project. Um, Just to be super interested in what you're made of. Mm. If you want to be a parent 
and you want to parent your child, they will be watching you from the second they open their eyes. And my advice is to really know what you're made of because they'll figure it out before you and they'll start pressing your buttons, the ones that you pretend aren't there because you decided to bury it because you didn't want to unravel your childhood. And then you'll be wondering why that child makes you feel so angry or de-skilled or this or that. All the answers, I believe, lie in not only knowing ourselves, but really forgiving and accepting and kind of, if you want to change something, do. Mm. But really coming to terms with what we're made of. And liking it. Mm, uh, Liking it, accepting it, having an affection for it. Mm -hmm. You know, I always wanted to be like, you know, five foot five and with long dark hair uh it's never going to happen right (laughs) um i would infinitely have preferred a petite stature and all of that anyway i was born nearly six foot tall and blonde and sort of amazonian in in presentation um i've grown to like it I'm going to like makes it. Makes me chuckle. There's a five foot four brown haired woman <laughs> who wants to be your height. <laughs> yeah. You know, ain't that the truth? It's just, it's just how it is. Mm, it is how it is. It probably brings us quite nicely onto healthy selfish because I do yeah. believe there's, which is a brilliant term, but it took me a long time to understand that it was okay to, to be healthy selfish or what I understand your definition, definition of that to be, which is... Okay, so healthy, selfish people fight. I mean, selfish is a word that is a criticism, Mm -hmm. right? Healthy, selfish is a little different. So if I want to give, if I'm a giving person and I want to give to people around me, then I need to make sure that I've got something to give. If I'm running on empty, if I refuse to give to myself and I'm constantly saying, don't worry about me, you come first and so on, then my giving will be conditional, resentful, exhausted. I will be frustrated if I come to spend time with you and in the 10 minutes that I had on my last legs, it didn't do the job. I'll be frustrated with you. So there's all this energy that gets involved if I'm not in good shape. So if I want to be generous in life, I have to make sure that I'm in good shape, which means I need to employ a discipline of good self-care, which means that I need to be able to say yes, no, and I don't know. It needs to be able to say, yes, I'd like that today, or I'm going to take care of myself today, or no, I'm not coming out, or I'm not going to answer the phone, or I am going to have that long quiet evening in even if everybody wants something of me Mm. because I must prioritize my needs because it allows it allows me to be generous Mm. so healthy selfish is in essence a discipline of good self-care that allows me to be in good enough shape to be generous without condition um so somebody might be listening to that thinking that's exactly where I need to get to because I always feel like I'm running on empty and I'm always doing for other people. But then the thing that might be a roadblock to that is someone telling them off for not being available. Is that what is that an unhealthy dynamic that they need to look at as well as um, working on the healthy, selfish aspect? It makes me laugh because I, my mother's um, codependent and um, which means that she takes care of everybody else and says don't worry about me and I challenged her over this for years challenged and challenged and challenged and then one day 
She said no and put her foot down. I was furious. <laughs> and I had to. I realised that my kind of visceral child response in my 30s okay, was to be furious with her. And luckily, I had just a hair's breadth of a sort of shock absorber of, of insight to know that this is exactly what I, I needed and wanted from her, was for her to be in good enough shape to say no mm. when she needed to. Um, so if you're codependent... And you start to get into recovery, you absolutely will have people around you who are annoyed with you because they're used to exploiting um, that part of you that overgives. In simpler terms, though, mm -hmm. in just in simpler terms, um, when people become angry with you for saying no, just stop and think about it. And when you're considering your self-care and your needs, just remember they don't have to always be uh, in front of everybody else's, but they need to be evaluated as importantly as the other important people in your life. How do you know if you're in a codependent relationship? Or because, dynamic? Okay, here's a, here's a real kind of throwaway line, which <laughs> I think is almost a codependent diagnosis. Out of your mouth comes things like, no, no, that's okay, don't worry about me. I don't mind. No, really, sure, you, you go ahead. I'll be all right. Whilst in your head, you're thinking, why am I the only one who ever does this thing? Mm. So you feel, after all I have done for you, and you treat me like that. Mm. And then someone says, do you need something? And you say, no, no, it's all right, I'll be fine. <laughs> I mean, it's painful. It mm. is a needless, wantless state that says, actually, if I put my hand up and say I do need something, I feel ashamed because my conditioned state is that, no, I'll be all right, I don't need. Mm. So it's almost an emotional anorexia, which means that recovery is trying to inspire the person who learned safety in not needing. You have to inspire an appetite in that person to ask for help without feeling weak, uh, accept love without feeling ashamed. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's difficult. And you said about exploiting, there's always somebody who will exploit. Absolutely. And you talked about the dynamic with your mother. Yeah. But I'm guessing that you wouldn't sit at home and think, oh, mum will do it and rub your hands together with glee. It's not necessarily a, a, a nasty place that that dynamic comes from, is it? I mean, I'm no. sure it can be. No, it, I, mean, I, I expect it can be at some level. But generally speaking, when it lives in families at a kind of relatively low but destructive level... It is a laziness. It's an unconscious laziness. So, for example, let's go with all the kind of um, the usual descriptor. Say it's the female. And what she will do is she will tidy up the bedroom, put away the washing, make all the food, wash it all up, tidy everything up and be exasperated that nobody helps her. Mm. But she won't ask for help until she is so resentful when she says, well, I think somebody else should do this just for once. And everybody's like, Whoa, okay, and they all get up and do it. And she sits down, but she feels guilty, or they're mm. not doing it properly. Mm. So she gets up and she just re-stacks the dishwasher or wipes things down. And one of her kids says, I thought I'd done that. And she goes, yes, I was just finishing off for you. So she de-skills them without realising. They're thinking, I can't be bothered. Clearly, I don't do it properly. And then she readopts the position of being the primary caretaker. Um, it's it's difficult. It's done in a kind of very unconscious way, but the resentment, the kind of poor me, bad you thinking, or bad me, poor you thinking, mm. which is pretty much what a resentment is, 
becomes the the kind of central way that everybody communicates. It's really destructive. Makes people feel taken for granted, unappreciated, and it can make other people really selfish, de-skilled, unable to take care of themselves. They don't know how to put their washing in because someone's always done it. Mm. They don't know how to think and feel for themselves because the codependent pounces on their feelings the minute they show it. So the child starts to show sadness and the parent says, don't, don't be sad. Please don't be sad. I don't like it when you're sad. As a therapist, I'm saying, be sad. Mm. It's a really important emotion. Cry it out. Have it. <laughs> yeah, emotions are important to have. Yeah. They are. But they're obviously, there as with anything, burying them and sitting on them and swallowing them, not healthy. But maybe having them all the time, probably not healthy. How does one calibrate like a healthy central pendulum yeah. swing? Spot on, all or nothing, binge or purge, mm. you know, indulge, neglect. These are trauma patterns that lead to drama, lead to extreme living, um, and they're not good for us. Mm. So on the way to indulge, you need to say, no, that's enough. And on the way to neglect, you say, no, that's not enough. Mm. So like anything, like any practice that you have, you need to learn how to have every emotion in the repertoire but in a regulated way, in a dignified and respectful way. Mm. So when you're young, as a child, you have them in explosive ways. You have them all over the place. They're messy, very, very, very angry, stromping about the place and slamming doors or sobbing or whatever it might be. And the parent listens and says, I can see you're very sad. Mm. You know, would you like to talk about what you're sad about? Let me introduce you to ways to have these feelings in a manageable way so that you don't get devastated mm. by a tsunami of emotions every time one hits. Mm. Absolutely. So we learn it in childhood in an ideal world. <laughs> Hear that? In an ideal world. Um, and then we can have our feelings. So we have our feelings all the time. And I think if I'm with one of the ways I... Somebody can come in and say, uh, I've done a lot of therapy. Mm -hmm. And I'll say, okay, so tell me how you feel. And they'll say, I feel fine. And I'll say, okay, it's not a feeling. Now I feel good. And I said, <laughs> you do realise that, that neither of those are feelings. They are judgments. And what that tells me is that you're looking at your feelings and you're judging them. And then you are communicating the judgment of your feelings, which tells me you're judgmental of your feelings. I mean, it's a pedantic detail. It's one of the things that means I have no friends and I'm very good as a therapist. <laughs> <laughs> However, if I'm in front of someone who's successfully done lots of therapy and I say, how do you feel? They should and I use that word legitimately, be able to say, happy, I feel happy, I feel sad, I feel hungry, I'm tired, I feel grateful, I feel nervous um, and excited. Mm. And there's a raft of emotions that they can tap into mm. immediately that don't all have to sit in negative or positive. They're just a quick assessment of how I feel right now. Ask that person in five minutes and they will have changed. Mm. And that's fine. So I think that people judge how they feel, measure how they feel, and then wonder why they don't know how they feel, mm. and then wonder why they behave in ways that are unexpected, which is probably because they weren't aware of how they felt. Mm. Um, it's, it's a riveting little puzzle that when people figure out the kind of formula, I think they're set free. The formula to, yeah. to sit in their emotions and make peace with them and... To just know. To, to look to look at the puzzle pieces. You know when you've got a jigsaw puzzle, mm. 
well, it's been a long time, but I used to like doing them, particularly with the kids. And um, at Christmas, <laughs> yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah. To get away from all the family dynamics, <laughs> puzzles become really interesting. Silence, yeah. But sometimes you don't know if you've got all the right pieces, mm. or you're thinking, oh, I don't even know where to start. So once you know how to do jigsaw puzzles, you get good at them because you know where to start. When you know you've got all the right pieces and that even if it doesn't make sense yet, these are all the right pieces mm. and give it enough time, it will fall into place because there is a template to follow. Mm. Once you've got that kind of confidence, you can calm down, stop being so hard on yourself, stop being anxious and worried that you haven't got yourself right across the whole picture. You allow something to unfold. You accept that you're not in control of everything. Mm. All those things make life so much easier. I think I've come around to thinking about it recently as almost a habit of freewheeling. And you, bear with me here. And we've spoken, you. <laughs> you've spoken about gratitude. Yeah. And I was talking to, and gratitude, I do a daily gratitude journal. I was talking to a friend recently who's going through really quite crappy time in their personal life. And they just did this thing. I said, how are you feeling? And they just said, I pull it back and just sort of moved the finger and said, I have to pull it back. I check in and I have to pull it back every day. I have to make sure I pull myself back to not being angry, not being sad, all of these things. And I thought, oh gosh, I think I freewheeled for years. I don't think I ever checked where I was. It was just bad day on top of bad day on top of bad day. And that's, I guess, where obviously therapy can, can help, but a daily check-in is hugely valuable. I love a daily check-in. Mm. I mean, I have a little card over there, which is, um, did you? Um, I call them the core characteristics of addiction. And every day, I think now instinctively, I will check in with myself to know where I am with those 12 things. Mm. So it gives me something just to ask myself so that I know why I'm reacting so badly to, you know, the person sitting next to me on the train who happens to have a coffee. Why am I annoyed with you? <laughs> <laughs> I could work myself into a fever. I'm the person who will then get off the train and race them to the barrier because I've already created some crazy competition in my head. And my act of uh, gratitude is at the barrier to stop stand back and let people through mm. you know because it's just I chuckle to myself I think oh look at you Mandy and your crazy mind yeah. creating a, a competitive angry drama yeah. based on what it's got nothing to do with the person with the coffee obviously it's happened before and if I haven't checked in with myself in the morning done a meditation which I'm pretty quick at now mm. um and just know what I've got to play with today. Mm. You know, who are you? Where are you at today? What have I got to play with today? Once I know what I've got to play with, I can spend it, you know, mindfully. Mm. I saw this brilliant thing. I think it might have been a meme on Instagram, but it was imagine that your feelings are in a cup mm. and you're walking along the street and somebody bumps into you. If your feelings are negative, when they bump into you, what pours out is negativity. You'll swear at them. You'll say, you bumped into me. But if you feel safe and happy and calm and optimistic you'll say oh don't worry mate and be on with your day you might not say mate but you know what I mean. yeah I think also adding to that because I can see it in my mind's eye mm. now is that if you are careless with your feelings when they bump into you they'll spill everywhere mm. but if you take care of your emotions if you know that they're important and they are one of your valuable assets one not all but one of them um, then when that person bumps into you you won't spill them you won't 
drop them. I've seen so many people who come in here with addiction who report stories about falling over in the sea or falling over whilst, you know, holding a drink. And they always laugh and say, but I never spilt my drink. Ha, 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 that was my priority. And the parallel in recovery is, well, you know, do you spill your feelings? Mm. Are you prepared to spill your self-esteem or lose your dignity because you're just not across it? And I would say that good recovery is pretty consistently being in good self-respect and behaving with dignity. Do you think that perhaps sometimes the, the right amount of value isn't attached to our feelings? Like maybe somebody listening to this might think, I don't know, as if I ever really think that they're important. I minimise. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Then I prioritize other people's feelings. Yes, well, that would be hypocritical, of course, because if I'm telling you to do something but doing something different, mm. what am I saying? Mm. I think... Um, I think the biggest criticism of kind of prioritizing feelings, really valuing them as a proper asset in life is people call it self-indulgent, navel-gazing. Mm. And I think that I agree at one level. I don't want to spend my whole life navel-gazing or indulging in my feelings as the only thing. What I want to do is to get to know them like a times table so that I spend X amount of time really navigating, having a good look where they come from, what's influenced them, you know, recognise that my older sister and my mother were hugely influential in how I feel about myself. My father was hugely influential in how I experienced the world to understand those kinds of friends frameworks to understand how I feel, how I represent those feelings, put the time in, and then it's like a times table. You just know it. Mm. There are shortcuts. You know, forever I will know that 6-6 six, six is a 36 in the same way that I know that when I'm tired, I'm prone to crying. Mm. Now, if I didn't know that, I might honestly think I was sad. Mm. But I know I'm tired, so I know what I need. Yeah. I need an early night, you know. So once you know how you feel, you know what you need and you can give it to yourself or that's, not. That's the healthy, selfish thing. Yeah. <laughs> Knowing exactly what you need. Um, I also wanted to talk about the ability to say I need help and the ability to say no. This has come up a lot on the podcast with uh, either guests and also listeners writing in to say they really struggle to say no see it as a complete sentence as Jane Fonda once said um does that come with the building the strength around your own feelings and understanding them because if you know how you feel about something very resolutely you can go no without dithering yes I think that um is this when somebody offers you help 
the no is to what? Just generically no? I think, yes, just, gen- yeah, more burden, more potential burden. Okay. I think that once you have a decent no up your sleeve, you have the luxury of an I don't know. And I don't know mm. is the shock absorber that allows you to weigh up yes or no. Until you've got a good no up your sleeve, I don't know doesn't exist. So what I would say to people is kind of arbitrarily learn how to say no. Yes, you'll upset some people, but on the journey, after you've got a good no up your sleeve, then you'll be able to introduce I don't know, which will allow you exactly as you said earlier, the kind of regulated space of living in the middle. Mm. Sometimes saying no is an act of humility. It is to say thank you for asking me to do this thing but honestly I am not the best person for the job I might look like it but I promise you I am not (laughs) but I know someone who is so always saying yes to something is the assumption that you are the right person for the job that this is something you should and could be doing Mm. so it puts pressure on you to perform in the way that you are perceived by the other person Mm. and I just think All of that just gets so confusing. So you might want to say, once you've got an I don't know up your sleeve, you'd be able to say, why did you ask me? I mean, I'm genuinely interested. There is no way I would see myself as somebody who would come with you to do that. Mm. Why did you ask me? Oh, just because I want your company. Oh, okay, great. Because you'd be good at it. No, 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 no. So you can get into communication Mm. with somebody rather than just being caught in the headlights of people pleasing. Oh, it's a gateway yeah. to more meaningful communication. Yes, and intimacy. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Light bulb moment. You've also said, just talking about going back to the no and the drained and running on empty, yeah. that your job as a therapist is to put the fuel back in the tank. Ooh, to show them how to put the fuel back in the tank. Um, is that fuel, is it sometimes, does it start with the no? Or does it? Yeah, I mean... There's a series of things that happen. I think fuel in the tank. I often say that self-esteem, self-care is self-esteem in action. Mm. So if you have a discipline of good self-care, as my patient, you do not have to like it. But we agree what you're going to do on a daily or weekly basis. And then I want to know if you've managed to do it or not and what your conflict was. And lots of people get very resentful. I did it, but I resented you, Mandy, all the way through it. Um, like, and you're very boundaried. Oh, no. OK. <laughs> what was that like? <laughs> um <laughs> You know, I think that putting and and I'm happy to hold that space uh, and, you know, it becomes quite playful, like we've just laughed. But somebody learning how to carve out time to pop some fuel in the tank to get them from A to B can feel like a self-indulgent, guilty, unnecessary Um, luxury and then they realize how much it benefits first them their sleep their mood their performance and then their relationships so they become invested in it so I think probably no is part of it not no to me obviously but no is part of it Um, but having a very simple uh, practice of self-care is probably the first thing I ask people to do um what would would you say that one of the first things that you might recommend to somebody who perhaps doesn't have a practice is either meditation or journaling and or, or just the gratitude 
The, probably the very first thing I ask people to do is three times a day. In fact, I've now thought of two things. It's always <laughs> two things with me. And I think it's because I've, I, I've got one sibling. Anyway, I'll come to that <laughs> later in life in some PhD, hopefully. Um, I think that the first thing I ask people to do is to jot down how they feel. Two words, two feelings words. Mm. And I will give them a list of feeling words, maybe. But two feeling words when they wake up around lunchtime and when they go to bed. So just ask people to start to check in with how they feel. No judgment, just collect mm. the data. The other thing I ask people to do is to take 90 seconds three times a day. So it's four and a half minutes. Um, is it four and a half minutes? It's, I think it is four and a half minutes, yes, isn't it? It is. it is four and a half minutes. Um, 90 seconds three times a day. And I want them just to sit and it can be on the loo seat with the seat down. No judgment. Feet, yeah. <laughs> Feet flat on, more comfort. <laughs> Feet flat on the floor, hands on the tops of their thighs, soften the gaze and literally blow on their nose or their upper lip quite sort of forcefully so that you are distracting your brain into a somatic experience, into a physical experience, which is the breath around your nose mm. and mouth. And to set an alarm for 90 seconds on their phone whilst they do this. And what it is, is it's just giving your brain three times a day time to clock off, just switch off and recalibrate. And most of the people that I work with tell me that they look at their phone at around 55 seconds to see <laughs> if they've actually managed to set it for 90 seconds or if they've missed something because mm -hmm. their tolerance to sit still for that amount of time is so low. So they start to see how difficult it is for them. They giggle, they find it, it's playful. It's a nice way to start to consider relationship mm. with self because right at the core of happiness, I believe, is a dignified, loving, affectionate relationship with yourself. And I think you have a brilliant technique for this as well with um, talk to yourself in the mirror. Yeah. And if you find that difficult, put a picture of you as a child up on the mirror. Yes. And the affirmations are not things like you've got nice eyes, you, you know, you've got nice skin. It, they're again judgments. I mean, you can do them if you want. Mm. Um, but I like things like um, I'm really looking forward to spending today with you or... Um, are you nervous about today? Don't worry, I'm with you. Mm. Or when somebody asks me how I feel today, I'm going to tell them. <laughs> <laughs> and you just have this uh, relationship with yourself. So at the end of the day, when you're brushing your teeth and you say, I didn't tell them how I felt, did I? I know, I heard the feeling, but mm. I didn't say it. I'm sorry. I'll I'll see what happens tomorrow. And you have this dialogue with yourself as you start to to reintegrate how you feel mm. into how you behave on a daily basis. Mm. And it takes practice. Um, but the safety of it, I think, is that you never feel so lonely again because you're not separated from that kind of forgiving, affectionate relationship with yourself. And everything is of interest. There's mm. very little offence there's lots of kind of curiosity and going, wow, that really upset you. What was that about? <laughs> you know, So life becomes curious and interesting and um, possible. Mm. It's a disconnect from emotions that we're trying to fix. Yeah. And which made me think about something else you said in one of your uh, talks, which is about the, the idea of pretense, building up a persona to the outside world. Yeah. But then if you're not, 
dropping it when you walk through the door and then having that conversation with yourself does that then compound if you're always capable outside externally capable and doing and whatnot and then you go home and you feel like a mess but you never really confront that because you're doing you're for other people is that the disconnect that we're it's really about pretense. I mean, I find when you were just saying that, I was thinking, mm. gosh, that's exhausting. Because to start with, because um, this this hopefully happens early, you know, it happens to us as we grow up, mm. which means that you go out, you put a face on, you do what you need to do in life. And you don't, you know, life is not therapy or group therapy or anything. Mm. You have to get on with what's in front of you and behave responsibly if when you get home you can't sit down and go cool that was difficult mm. how was that for you yeah i feel really upset da, 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 and work it through and come to terms with it then you will get back on the treadmill the minute you land at home and perform in a different way socially or whatever that might be mm. which means that you're probably going to end up getting married into the same environment and then having children who expect the same of you and then you're going to end up with no relationship where do I ever get off where where can I turn this front off and just uh, ventilate some of this pent-up emotion mm. so you're going to go inward and feel either depressed or anxious maybe self-harm maybe use food or you're going to go outwardly and you're going to act out with drugs or alcohol or something because interesting a lot of the people I work with talk about their use of addictive manifestations if you like as their relief space mm. it's it's where i let go it's where i don't have any responsibility it's where i numb out mm. so i'm thinking okay well let's try and teach you how to do those things kind of independently of the manifestation of addiction and let's see if we can just de-skill the manifestation a bit so it's mm. less interesting to you because you learn how to do it yourself is it the same place they're trying to get to, the one that you talked about in the 90 seconds of blowing, where you're just giving your brain relief, or is it a different kind of... Well, I think that when you give your brain that sort of time off, it recalibrates, which means that when you come out of the loo, you're likely to have more perspective. When you have done that three times a day for two weeks, you're going to find, probably, and this is what people tell me, and it's my experience, that... Um, things just become more manageable because your brain has learned to expect a moment of pause in the day and you give it that mm -hmm. moment of pause in the day. So everything just settles. So you're not working from, like you said earlier, layer upon layer upon mm -hmm. layer upon layer so that you're operating and kicking off from a starting point of distorted experience. Mm -hmm. You're ventilating and your brain is taught to expect the ventilation. So it knows it's coming. So then it knows how to use it properly. Mm -hmm. So you just become more manageable in your life. It's very interesting because I've, I've done this. I'm sure listeners will have done where I've thought this is going nuts. Like this meeting's very becoming very tense yeah. or this situation, be it social or professional, is just, I just, and I just say, oh, excuse me, I'm just going to, excuse myself and get some fresh air and I just think I just need to get out of this and then I'll go back in and I'll be fine and I never am and it's because I go out and stew yes <laughs> I was I'm so glad you said that yes and stewing being pointing fingers ranting mm -hmm. all the things and the interesting thing is 
if we were in therapy together, is that <laughs> I'd be really interested to know the pattern and nature of the rant, because there will be a pattern and the nature of the rant. There'll be themes that you find intolerable. That person doesn't stop talking. Mm. This person doesn't listen. Whichever way you see it. And those things are the threads that will probably follow down the rabbit hole and will discover happened to you really early in childhood. So we un we 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 would learn I would help you to learn coping mechanisms so you don't contribute to the debt in your today mm. so you manage the meeting better but also to unpick the kind of trigger theme from your childhood so that you turn off the fuel that triggers the pressure that mm. pressures the trigger so you do both things interesting well the thing is that made me link it to pretense is because being the grown-up and saying I'm just going to step out for a moment is my grown-up external trying to give off a vibe of she's handling it when clearly I'm not. Mm. So that's what I was interested in because you've talked about pretense in, in that uh, feelings talk as well. Yeah. And about how people can use pretense about uh, to keep people from actually seeing them because they worry that if you let somebody get close and they actually see you, you won't like me anymore. Yes, and of course the, the biggest person who is guilty of that is myself. So I don't want to admit that I feel that way, which is why I avoid my feelings. Because if I admit I feel that way, I have to start accepting that that's who I am and I don't want to. I want to be the person that I'm pretending to be because <laughs> I don't like who I am. The day I accept that the pretense is a brilliant skill that I can employ but that it is only a skill, that the real me does exist behind and I need to really sort of understand who that is which means I need to take the time and uh, put the effort in to kind of unravel that puzzle mm. so it's a great skill to say I'm just going to step out for a moment but then to step out and look up and breathe mm. and chuckle and go you know if for example if somebody's not listening to what you say or let's just say they're not listening to what you say in the meeting and to come out and stare at the sky and to chuckle and say wow there's my mother stuff all over again, still not feeling heard, <laughs> and it really bothers you. Who cares about this guy in the meeting? He's nothing. Mm. This is about your mum. And then do a quick relationship check-in with yourself as a child in relation to your mum who perhaps never listened to you, and then you go back into the meeting because, you know, it's got nothing to do with the meeting, and you've laid to rest the problem, and you go in there with all the skills you know and need to succeed. So it's as if with every situation that you find yourself in where you exhibit the same behavior yeah it's really that problem knocking on your brain going please can you resolve me i think so okay patterns yes. speak volumes volumes i'm the common denominator in everything that happens to me in my life mm. so you know woe betide me if i point the finger outward at everybody else i'm missing the point mm. Well, let's talk about that in terms of if, you, if you're the common dominant. Yes. It's the Invisalign, I apologise. <laughs> if you're the common denominator, I was doing so well, um, and you work on yourself, how, and I know it's not about speed, I know it's about, I know it's not about quick fixes, but realistically, if someone's listening to this and they think, I want a piece of that action, I want to stop this repeated behaviour, or I want to check in with myself and I want someone to help me with it realistically how long does somebody need to be in therapy or having one-to-one -one sessions to really affect a positive change right you really have asked the impossible question. question because every therapist is different mm. so and every 
person is different. I think that the change that people are after isn't the narrative point about what happened to them. It's the recognition that they are the common denominator in their life, that curiosity is the greatest antidote to offence. Really become curious and interested in how you think and feel and why that might be without attributing blame anywhere. If you can turn someone's head to be curious and to be interested and to sort of let go of the outcome but to engage in a journey of exploration, um, that's what makes a difference. That's when it stops being a mountain to climb and you just go, oh, well, this is just how it is then. I'll just, uh, I'll just get on with my day then. And it stops being about trying to be somebody that you want to be or, you know, I need to arrest this pattern. I need to stop doing what I'm going to do, brackets, because then I'll be happier. Then I'll be mm-hmm. a better person. Then I'll be what? No, the pattern exists. It is part of who you are. Mm-hmm. And settling down just to appreciate what that is and unravel it is what you will be doing. Mm-hmm. And just accepting that and becoming interested in it and kind around it. Mm-hmm. I think is the biggest small step anyone can take. Can we unpick curiosity as the antidote to offence? Yes. Okay. I'm trying to keep it really simple. Okay, so (laughs) if I'm curious, then... Okay, so let's just say offence is that somebody's in the wrong. Mm -hmm. It's me or it's you... But somebody is to blame here. So it's pejorative thinking. It's judgmental thinking. It's gathering up the evidence and saying, who's the bad guy? Who's the good guy? And who's going to rule that that's the case? And who's on my side? And Mm. and all of those things. Blood will be shed. And I think those things are often generated by kind of um, expectation, by wishful thinking, by shoulds, by if onlys. You shouldn't have done that. If only that had happened. Why did that have to happen to me? Poor me, bad you, all of this stuff. Instead, I think uh, we have a responsibility to explore our expectations. When I say should, I always think now, I think, well, I said it earlier, legitimately use the word should. I think, gosh, did I mean that? Where does that come from? You know, Mm. people shouldn't jump traffic lights. People shouldn't push. People should queue. Um, That shouldn't cost that much. I mean, all of those things. Why do I think that? Mm. Now, if I don't stop and consider where that comes from in me, I will jump to a judgment which sets me up to go good guy, bad guy. Mm. Once I start thinking, gosh, that's interesting that I get so annoyed when people push in, you know, when people drive like that, driving's where lots of my stuff comes from. (sighs) (laughs) Um, And I chuckle because I know what my stuff is today. Mm. So when somebody does something or pushes in and then doesn't say thank you, I'm able to just chuckle to myself Um, Because I know that that's the kind of thing that makes me cross and I know why. Mm. Uh, Therefore, it doesn't really matter to me anymore. It's just another thing that happens that tells me that, yes, I am that person and that is where I came from. Mm. Just accept it. So you're still taking part in the world. Yes. But but you're not having a rock in the queue. I'm not fighting anyone. No, (laughs) I'm not fighting anyone. Um, But, I mean, when you just said about uh, jumping lights and pushing in... I think I was thinking, oh, yeah, that bothers me. I wonder why that bothers me. I don't like the idea of people not having manners and not uh, fairness. Yeah. Don't push in. It's not fair. Yeah. There's a queuing system for a reason. It's fair. Yeah. Um, 
But then if I can just chuckle at it, it doesn't mean that I've disengaged from believing that the world is nice. But you have to understand why manners was such a big part of how to organise yourselves when you were children Mm. and in the family. Um, Sometimes it's a way that parents manage uh, big sibling groups. Mm. Sometimes it's the way that parents control Um, their children. I mean, there are different things and they come from different parents. Mm. And if it were from female side, for you, it would be about identity and self-esteem. And if it were from male side, older brothers or father, it would be related to your expectation of the world Mm. and roles that are played out in the world. And we could could unpack that in another (laughs) hour. Um, But you want to know why it's such a big thing for you. Because sometimes people expect that they will get their share if they employ good manners, because that's what they were taught. Mm. And actually, in the world, that doesn't happen. But if you want to be the person who displays good manners, unconditional of the fact that you're expecting your share back, Mm. then you're set free. If you employ good manners because you expect the same back, then you will have resentment in your life. It's it's the karma thing, isn't it? I'll behave this beautiful way and i'll be repaid well no down the line i'll play this i will not i'm not being repaid further down the line mm. i will behave this way because that's who i want to be mm. if you want to be like that you can that's your choice and i ran into you today and and this is how you behaved but it's not going to dictate who i am and it's not going to make me somebody that i don't want to be mm. i know where i'm comfortable being i know what means i can put my head on my pillow at night and think yeah I liked you today, Mandy. That was good. Mm. That was all right. That gives me a good night's sleep. I need a good night's sleep, otherwise I cry. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm I'm better off. So yeah, I just want to be able to live uh, in a way that I'm peaceful with mm. and I'm happy with, and that's good enough for me. Mm. Should somebody feel heightened emotion? Is that okay? Yeah, absolutely. Have all the emotions, all the different pitch levels but not so that they drive your behaviour. So if I get super, super, super excited about something, I might sit there and go, oh, quite excited. And then I'll be like, oh. And I sort of can see little Mandy leaping around the place. And I almost mentally slip my arm around her and go, yeah, it's exciting, isn't it? But it comes into a manageable range. Mm. So I have all the potency of the excitement without without becoming chaotic Mm. in any way. And the same applies to all the emotions. Periodically, I lose it, but very, very rarely nowadays. Mm. And when I do, again, I just go, wow, gosh, you really lost it there. That's really interesting. (laughs) Is that like in the car, we both both admit? I might really get upset about somebody and then take it home and think about it that evening. Gosh, really? No, I wouldn't. Yeah, well, you're a little bit more involved. (laughs) I would chuckle. I'd go... Ah, about something and I go oh look at you getting really annoyed about something you're never going to see again the thing I'm thinking is next time that happens next time uh, somebody tried to overtake me in a car park yesterday yes <laughs> I do like to manoeuvre into spaces slowly um, and I thought and I looked at her and there was a, an exchange of glances and I did think about it later and now I'm thinking right if that happens again I will just talk to myself as if I'm a child having a bit of a tantrum <laughs> And wonder what it's about. Mm. You know, I exist. It might you might listen to what you say in your head. Mm. You know, um, <coughs> whether it's who do you think you are? Can't you just wait? Show good manners. I exist. Excuse me. Mm. 
what those what those one-liners are are likely to reflect all the way back to a thematic principle that might still need some attention mm. because it's still fueled with emotion that is disproportionate to what's just happened in front of you and again i guess as you say it all it all stems back to childhood and yeah. yet i i i certainly don't want to think oh gosh, well, all of these things that are affecting me now, does that mean I had a terrible childhood? Was my childhood flawed? That's not what it means, is it? No, not at all. I'm doing it to my children right now. (laughs) (laughs) I provide a greenhouse which has the atmosphere of Mandy in it Mm. in which my children grow up. The difference, I hope, is that I will try very hard not to deny what that atmosphere is. So we all create atmospheres and contexts and experiences and rules and influences in our children's lives and it was done to us too and to pretend that that doesn't bear fruit is nuts of course it does Mm. and the opportunity is simply to know what we're made of I spoke to someone the other day and I said to her listen we're not putting your parents on trial all I want to know is the ingredients mm. that you're made of. Because once we've got the ingredients, we know what meal we're making. <laughs> and she went, oh, that's so much better. <laughs> so it's not about the ingredients are wrong. Mm. It's that what are they? Mm. That's all. What are the component parts? Yeah. What am I made of? Because it might help me make sense of why I keep doing that thing over there. It's not whose fault is it? Mm. No, because I'm busy making mistakes every day. But it's not something to fear. No, 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 no. Actually, it's something to welcome. Mm. I've had uh, communications with people, with listeners who have said they want to go down the road of therapy, but they have a fear that they're not going to like what they see when they get into the room and they start having those conversations. I think that therapy is a representation of your relationship with yourself. So somebody saying that is clearly frightened of, I don't know, how they feel about themselves. And I would just say to you, interview your therapist. Yes, make sure that they're properly qualified. But the next step, the most important step is that you respect them Mm. because at some point you're not going to like what's going on. And at that point, they need to be able to hold you Mm. and you're going to go back and you're going to work through it. And you're going to realize that there was a little bit of gold dust in that moment and you bank it. And that's when you get the confidence to keep going back. Mm. I um I don't know if you've read Kelly Osborne's book, but she um she gives a great example about yeah interview your therapist and if you don't like them, bin them. Um, but, but in the first session, don't wait till session six because if somebody in session six is actually which actually don't think's happened, but if they were to say um, I don't really like you, don't think I'm going to work with you, I'd be thinking that's related to your stuff, not to do with me. Interesting. Do it in your first session. Now you are a busy lady, so we are going to have to draw this to a close. But it has been. So interesting talking to you. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you. You're so easy to talk to. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to that episode of The Emma Gunn Show. I do hope you enjoyed it. I appreciate your time hugely. If you did enjoy it and you never want to miss an episode... 
then please do hit the subscribe button wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. It's also where you get the opportunity to leave a five-star review and a rating for how you feel about the show. And I'd be so grateful if you wouldn't mind leaving one. If you want to get in touch with me, email me at thebeautypodcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. Or you can DM me on Instagram and Twitter where I am at Emma Guns. If you fancy chatting to me and thousands of other fellow listeners of the podcast, then click the link to join the Facebook forum. The link to join is in the show notes, which can be found wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. You have to answer a couple of questions, but we cannot wait to see you there. Come over and join the conversation. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you on the next one. Bye.